everyone. Uh, we want to welcome you and thank you for coming out on this Sunday. It's a beautiful day. What a beautiful weekend, too. And uh, my name is Paul Muma. I'm the lead pastor here. And I'm excited that you've chosen to be with us today. You know, we're, we're a family here at Genesis Church. And uh, while I don't believe it's the most important thing we do, I do believe it's a really important thing that we do when we come together uh, on Sundays to worship together, to encourage one another, to learn together and pray for each other. Uh, so thanks for making uh, this a, a part of your day today. And if you're new to all of this, if this is your first time, uh, we'd love the chance to get to know you a little better. One of the ways that you can do that is through our connection card. Uh, it's in the seat backs in front of you. Take this out. Uh, fill it out if you would. You can drop it in the offering bag uh, in just a couple of minutes. Uh, or take it after the service today out these back doors, the long counter, our info hub. Uh, we've got some people there that would love to meet you, love to tell you a little bit more about Genesis. And uh, you can drop this off. And uh, in return, we've got a gift uh, that we'd love to give you just to say thank you uh, for being our guest here today. Uh, one of the best ways to get to know Genesis uh, outside of actually talking to some of the people here on Sundays uh, is to uh, check out our website at genesischurch.me. We also have an app. Uh, that you can check out as well that's just going to keep you updated on all the different things that are happening uh, around our church. So take some time with that. And uh, one of the things that's coming up, one of the deadlines uh, in just a couple of weeks is uh, an application deadline uh, for our next trip to Haiti, uh, which is going to happen in February of 2016. But that application deadline is October the 11th. And uh, so if that's something you've been thinking about, praying about, uh, uh, participating with one of our teams to Haiti, again, that trip's coming up in February, but we'd love to know by uh, October 11th uh, whether that'd be something you'd like to be a part of uh, or not. So you can uh, get a copy of that application back through our info hub or uh, through the website, and it'll give you a little bit more information about that upcoming trip, as well as some meetings that will be taking place uh, to help uh, prepare you for that. Uh, we talk about this a lot. Haiti is one of our strategic partners, Nehemiah Vision Ministries. Uh, God's doing some fun, phenomenal things there. And so I'm going to invite our host team to come forward. We're going to take our offering uh, together today. And as we do that, we're just going to give you a little glimpse uh, of one of our recent trips there. And uh, maybe as you pray, maybe this will help you a little more in thinking about that next trip for you. So let's uh, welcome our host team. Celebrate uh, as we give our offerings together. Check this out. Going to Haiti for my first time, I was really expecting or even a little fearful um, of just feeling this great weight from the poverty and the devastation, just what I learned um, with what happened with the earthquake. But overall, my experience there was completely different. It was really just um, the Lord showing me joy. Loving others is so easy to do there because people are so open. You. You greet everybody with like bonsoir, just no matter who they are. And we don't do that here. We, if you don't want to talk to someone, you kind of like walk with your eyes down and don't make eye contact. I mean, like everyone you pass is smiling and you say like bonsoir to everyone, which I don't do at home. We did an English camp um, in the morning. Uh, we did the PE uh, portion of English camp. And so we had kids come uh, rotate in groups come to us and uh, we built each day uh, on an obstacle course so we had beanbag toss and um, a sack race and uh, dizzy bat and just a bunch of uh, fun things and then in the afternoons we did whatever um, the whatever they needed done on the campus if they had odd jobs here odd jobs there we did it we were able to uh, work in a 
what used to be the old health clinic that they're converting to what will be a seventh grade classroom next year. So we were able to build some walls uh, for that. Uh, it felt it felt really good to to use my natural talents and abilities to um, do something that was tangibly making a difference there. Going there it really was um, this well of spiritual water that God gave to me to drink from and to just be filled up um, with over and over again during that whole week. Being able to experience that was just eye-opening and coming back and feeling like it was a spiritual retreat where um, I felt refreshed. Well, you're living relationally because you're going on this tri trip with 15 people that you're with eight days all day long. You're eating every meal with, you're praying together, you're reading God's Word together, you're celebrating and worshiping together, and you're facing challenges and obstacles together. You're out of your comfort zone and you are stripped of really all of your normal comforts and routines and that naturally, like you bond really quickly. Uh, you should go to Haiti because it is life-changing. Uh, it is 100% worth it uh, to, to make the sacrifice of time and money and to go down there and, and to see their joy and to just understand, I think, where, where you stand as well. Um, it just gives you a whole new perspective on your own life and a whole new perspective on God. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we thank you, Lord, uh, for all of the great things that you're doing uh, in our lives and uh, through those that have uh, had this experience of going to Haiti and uh, for those that uh, maybe in February uh, are going to go, Lord. Uh, we thank you that you're helping people find their way back to God there. We get to play a small uh, part in it. And uh, even this morning, as we know, there are uh, brothers and sisters in Christ worshiping in Chambrun and Onaville, Lord. We pray that uh, as we're asking, Lord, that you would fill this place, that you would fill uh, those places to God and that you would connect us together uh, in only ways that the Holy Spirit uh, can do, Lord. Uh, thank you for the financial gifts that have been given today and those throughout the week and online, Lord. I thank you for the generosity uh, of this church, of this family. I pray that you would use these gifts in great ways, Lord, uh, to keep spreading the gospel uh, here in Noblesville and uh, beyond. And uh, this morning, Lord, we want to remember um, our family, our church in Carmel, too, and just ask uh, that you would fill that place today, God. And uh, thanks for all of your great work through our Carmel campus and for Kevin as he's preaching uh, there today and for all the people, maybe some of those that are coming for the first time, uh, even here today, God, uh, that they would see you and know you, God, that we would all be changed by you as we see your love, your your, your passion for us, Father. We just want to respond in that today. Uh, Lord, um, uh, give, give us the words this morning. Um, speak to our hearts. Change us. And uh, just open our ears to hear from you. And uh, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, this morning, I come to you as a 40-year-old man. I, uh, I celebrated a birthday uh, last weekend, uh, last Sunday, in fact. My wife told me, she said, hey, I've got a surprise for you. I'm taking you away, just the two of us, to celebrate turning 40. And uh, so we were able to do that. I wasn't able to be here with you uh, last week, but I came home to a, a couple of birthday cards and balloons that many of you uh, signed with, with such sweet words and words of encouragement, and that just meant so much to me. And uh, I just want to say thank you for that and just let you know that I love you. I, I love this church, and I, I 
look back on the first 40 years of my life, and I'm so blessed at, at just all the wonderful things that God has allowed me to experience. And uh, what I'm praying is that he's got many more years for me, and I'd love to finish my life serving Genesis Church and uh, being a part of this family with all of you. So thanks for those uh, uh, special thoughts. Somebody asked me the other day, they said, well, do you feel 40? And I said, you know, if I'm honest, I feel about 37. And uh, that kind of works well for me, and, uh, and hopefully just hang out uh, around that age uh, as long as possible. But uh, uh, if, if you are new with us today, uh, one of the things that I probably talk about uh, frequently, uh, maybe a little bit too much from time to time, are, are my kids. I've got three kids. And I like to talk about them a lot from stage. I've got pastor friends that will tell me, though, hey, enjoy these years right now because there's going to come a day when they're going to put their foot down and they're not going to give you that permission uh, to talk about them anymore. And so uh, for now, they're good with it. And so what I'm planning to do is get as much mileage as I can out of my stories uh, with my kids. But why do I talk about my kids so much? Uh, well, probably like uh, those of you that have kids, I, I love my kids. Uh, I really enjoy my kids, and they're so much fun. And while I'm not wishing them uh, to get older, what I'm finding is that you, with every year past and every new stage of life, there's just more and more opportunities to enjoy them uh, and love them. And so I like spending time with my kids. I, I want to be able to say that they trust me. And uh, you could say that I, I long to have a deep, uh, intimate relationship uh, with each of my children. Again, I, I want them to know that I love them. Uh, as they are. I want them to know that they don't have to hide anything from me and that they can come to me and trust me and that I, I, I delight in them. I want to be able to help meet their needs. I, I want to celebrate their wins with them and comfort them when they go through some really difficult uh, seasons in life. This, this is the kind of intimacy that I long to have with my kids. And can I tell you this this morning, that uh, this is the same kind of intimacy uh, that God, the Father in heaven, that he longs to have with you too. Uh, that he longs to have with each of us. In fact, God designed us for intimate relationships. Uh, that's how he created us. It's how he wired us well, to, to be able to experience an intimate relationship with him and with others. And when Jesus said, when Jesus came and when he said, I, I came to give you abundant life, he, he, he meant that he came to give us a quality of life, a, a, a deep, purposeful life, a life of significance. And that abundant life is found first and foremost uh, through our relationship with God. Uh, Jesus said it this way in John chapter 17, verse 3, he was praying and he said, now this is eternal life, that they know you. He was praying to his father. He says, this is the eternal life, that, that they know you. This is the goal. This is the aim that I have for your children, father, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. The word know here is the Greek word gnosko, uh, and it means to be intimately acquainted uh, with someone. It, it was Jesus' prayer. Uh, and his hope for you and me, that we would be intimately acquainted with God, that we would know him, that we would experience an intimate relationship with our Heavenly Father during our days here on earth. That's what Jesus had with God and what he prays uh, for you and me too. And if that's the kind of relationship that you have long to have with God, well, then this morning I want to convince you that if you pattern your prayer life after the prayer life of Jesus, then you can have an intimate relationship with your heavenly father too, just like Jesus did. In fact, I'll go as far as to say I believe that God longs to have the kind of intimate relationship that he had with Jesus. He longs to have that same relationship with you and me too, that relationship that he had with Jesus while he walked on the earth. He desires to have with you and with me too. See, this was the secret to Jesus' life. I mean, this was the motivation of his life. This is the engine that drove Jesus. 
It was the intimacy that he shared with his father, and it was the secret to his life. And it'll be the secret to our lives as well, to say that we know the Father, that we have this gnosko with our Heavenly Father. Now, we may be tempted to think, well, Jesus had this intimacy with the Father because he was God, all right? He had something going for him. He had a bit of an advantage. But that would be a faulty view of the real Jesus. I mean, Jesus didn't automatically have an intimate relationship with his Father. He had to cultivate that intimacy with his father as he walked as a human while here on this earth. And he cultivated that intimacy with his father through a lifestyle of prayer. Uh, If you look at the Gospels, uh, there are over uh, 30 instances of Jesus praying. We see that in the first four books of the New Testament known as the Gospels. In fact, prayer played such a prominent role in the life of Jesus that of all of the things the disciples could have asked Jesus to teach him, teach them, what did they ask? They asked, Lord, teach us to pray. Hey, would you teach us to pray? Would you, would you show us you know, what the, the secret sauce is? What, what's the secret to your life? I mean, what, what made Jesus so special? It was this intimate relationship that he shared with the Father, and prayer was the primary way he cultivated that intimacy. In fact, if you're taking notes this morning, if you've got a copy of our message notes, write this in. Jesus showed us with his life, with his example in his humanity, that prayer is the primary way we cultivate intimacy with God. You want to have an intimate relationship with the Father? You want to grow in your relationship with God today? Prayer is the primary way we cultivate that relationship with Him, that we grow in that relationship with Him. And here's what I believe, that if you'll pattern, if I'll pattern my life after the prayer life of Jesus, we can experience that same sort of intimate relationship with the Father that Jesus experienced while He was here on the earth. Uh, If you've got a Bible with you today, I want to invite you to take it and turn to Luke chapter 3. We're going to spend a little time uh, uh, in the first chapters of Luke today looking at some examples uh, of Jesus in prayer. And if uh, you want to use one of the Bibles uh, that are in the room on the floor, turn to page 717. Or if you use something like a a version app on your phone, feel free to go there with us too. Uh, We'll have the the verses on on the screen. If you're new with us, we're in the third week of a series uh, that we're calling The Son of Man. Now, this title for Jesus, The Son of Man, is used over 81 times in the Gospels. And while the full meaning of the title embraces Jesus' role as our exalted Redeemer, it really emphasizes humanity as one who was born a baby of a virgin and grew up as a young child, as an adolescent, as an adult, Uh, to walk on the earth. Now, as we pointed out a couple of weeks ago, Jesus was fully God, all right? We don't want to miss this about him, that he was fully God. But when he came to the earth and he came as a baby, he became fully human for us too. And so over the course of these eight weeks, what we want to do is we want to study and learn from the life of Jesus, specifically through the lens of his humanity. Because in his humanity, Jesus gave us an example to follow. We have a difficult time following him as a glorified redeemer, all right, as one who is sitting in heaven today, but in his humanity, we can follow the example of Jesus, all right? This is the example we're called to follow. Jesus was uh, man as God intended man to be, and 1 John 2, 6 explains, John writes that anyone who claims to be a Christ follower, meaning if you call yourself a Christian, if you desire to be a follower of Jesus today, John says this, he says, a Christ follower must walk as Jesus walked. I mean, and and to walk as Jesus walked means to pattern our life after his life, to look to him as our ultimate example, as the perfect example, Jesus in his humanity. To walk as Jesus walked means to pattern your life 
after his. And last week, our Noblesville campus pastor, Ben, talked about how Jesus lived by the Spirit, that his life was saturated by the Holy Spirit. And today we want to see the pattern of prayer in the life of Jesus, but not only see it. My prayer for you, what I've been praying for us, is that it will be our desire to model our prayer life after Jesus, to really practice prayer, to be people who pray so that we can say that we're a church that prays and prays together. And so Luke chapter 3, uh, Luke chapter 3, uh, we're going to start in verse uh, 21, uh, again on page 717 if you're using the Bibles in the room. This is the first uh, direct reference uh, to prayer in the life of Jesus. Uh, it comes as an adult at the Jordan River. We know that he, he prayed before this point, but this is uh, one of the first times that we see it, and it's here that John the Baptist baptizes Jesus. And so Luke chapter 3, uh, starting in verse 21. Here's what Luke records. He says, when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven saying, you are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. And so as Jesus is being baptized, did you notice what Luke records? Jesus is praying. As he's being baptized, he's praying. And by the way, uh, the passage reads that it, it seems that Jesus praying preceded heavens, the heavens being opened and the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove. Now that alone sounds like a powerful prayer, doesn't it? All right, that, that the heavens would open and that the Holy Spirit would descend on him like a dove. I mean, to think that one prayer could have enough power behind it to open the heavens, well, that's a pretty powerful prayer. And in that moment, the father responds and audibly speaks to his son. And by all accounts, this could very well be the very first time that Jesus ever heard his father's audible voice. And if so, can you imagine what that moment was like for Jesus? Can you imagine that moment and what it must have been like for Jesus to hear the audible voice of his father? I mean, having faithfully followed his father now for 30 years, because we know he's around 30 years of age, he now hears his father's voice again, maybe for the first time, and the father responds from heaven saying, you are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. What do you, what, what, what do you think went through Jesus' heart at that moment? I mean, what was it like to hear that voice from heaven? I mean, what, what did it mean for Jesus to hear those words of support and of love and of encouragement and acceptance? And I don't know about you, but I think about how important my parents' encouraging words uh, to me were a as a kid, and uh, even what they mean to me uh, today. Um, I remember one time, and this was after I was married, um, I was playing for a softball team, and uh, we had traveled to St. Louis uh, to play in a weekend softball tournament. And uh, my parents came to watch me play, and uh, I still remember a moment I was up to bat. Uh, I know my parents were sitting behind the backstop, and uh, the pitch was thrown, and I mean, I swung, and I lined a three-run homer over the left field fence, all right? Now, you may say impressive, um, but it's pretty amazing when somebody throws it underhand, you know? I mean, what, what you can really, what you can do with a, a pitch uh, like that. And uh, why was that a big moment for me? Well, first of all, it was a big moment because I have something like three career home runs, all right, period, in all my life. And when you've got three of them, you can remember each of them uh, very specifically. And so I remember that moment. I cherish that moment. But I, I do remember rounding those bases and coming across home plate. And I remember glancing over 
there cheering uh, for me. And it was a big deal. It was a big deal for me and maybe for them. It was a big deal because as a little leaguer, I struck out all the time, all right? And so they endured lots of strikeouts. And uh, so that was a pretty proud moment, you know, and to, to see them applauding as they always have. I mean, they supported me uh, then. They, they encouraged me uh, as a young kid and growing up and going off to college, and they still encourage me today. And so what did it mean for Jesus to hear those encouraging words from his father? I imagine Jesus being surprised. I, I imagine Jesus being full of joy, uh, definitely encouraged. And uh, don't you think that gave Jesus a new sense of, of courage? you know, in his own life and what was ahead. Whatever the case, the Father's words affirmed Jesus on that day. And one of the reasons why we should follow Jesus' pattern of prayer is because we need affirmation too. You know, as followers of Christ, we need affirmation from our Heavenly Father. And uh, those words are very specific uh, that Luke recorded and very intentional too. He records the words, the Father responded, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. You know, with these words, the Father quotes three Old Testament passages here from Genesis 22, from Psalm chapter 2, from Isaiah 42. All three are messianic passages that speak to the identity of Jesus. And, and here's why that's important. I mean, if you think about it, if God the Father used the Word of God to speak to His Son, then it's likely that He's going to use the Word of God to speak to you and me too. I mean, if he's going to do that for Jesus, it's likely that he wants to use the word of God to speak into your life and to speak into your uh, situation. We're going to talk about the importance of the word of God in Jesus' life in a couple of weeks. But the point is that Jesus' prayer life was woven together with his study of the Bible, too. You can't separate prayer and reading scripture and studying scripture. I mean, we tend to separate the two, but for Jesus, it was all the same. Reading the Bible and prayer go together. Let's look at another example of Jesus praying. Let's uh, go over to Luke chapter 4. Uh, it's on that same page uh, if you're uh, in the Bible that I'm using. Uh, Luke chapter 4, uh, verse 1. Uh, Luke 4, verse 1. Let's read this next account. It says, Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan, and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. Now, we don't see the word prayer here in these verses, but if you study this passage uh, in its context, it's clear that Jesus was not only fasting for 40 days, but we know and we believe that he was praying too. Have you ever wondered what might Jesus have been praying for all those days? I mean, for 40 days and even before the temptation from Satan, I mean, what were those things that Jesus was praying along the way? I'll, I'll tell you one thing I wonder about. I, I wonder if Jesus was praying at all about what his father had said to him at his baptism. I mean, don't you think that's possible? I mean, don't, don't you think that if the, Father, if, if the Father in heaven spoke audibly to you, don't you think if you remember those words and that you'd pray about those words and reflect on those words at least for the next few months to come? Well, we don't have time to look at it now, but I want to invite you to take some time and read through Deuteronomy chapter 8. Uh, these verses give some insight to what Jesus might have been praying during that time in the wilderness. But most importantly, what do I take away from Jesus praying in the wilderness? I think it's a reminder, I think it's an example for us that, that prayer must be a priority. That, that when you go through good times, that prayer is a priority. When you go through difficult and challenging times, when you go through these wilderness experiences in life, uh, when you face temptation, again, when you go through these cha challenging times, that like Jesus, prayer must be a priority for us too, for each of us too. Let's look at another example of Jesus praying. Turn over to uh, Luke chapter 6. 
Uh, Luke chapter 6, uh, verse 12, another, another instance of Jesus praying. Luke 6, uh, 12, it says, One of those days Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. Have you ever tried praying as you're uh, laying down and uh, realizing the next morning that, yeah, I think I fell asleep about maybe sentence two. Well, you know, we get, get this example here of Jesus going out to a mountainside to pray, and he spends the whole night praying to God. Now, why does Jesus spend the whole night praying to God? Well, if you know or if you understand this passage in its context, we know that the next morning he's going to choose the 12 disciples. All right, he's come to this pivotal moment where he is going to select the 12 disciples. Now, this is two and a half years into his ministry, and he's been preparing these men, uh, and again, preparing uh, and, and looking forward to choosing 12 who are going to lead this moment movement, uh, even after Jesus is crucified on the cross. And so, why would Jesus, the Son of God, need to spend all night in prayer before choosing the 12? Because I think at first glance, we'd want to say, didn't you automatically know this? I mean, wasn't that kind of already hardwired into him who these 12 were going to be? Well, be careful. I mean, because he became fully human for us, would Jesus instinctively have known this? Or is this something that was withheld from him? I mean, I, I think it's very possible. In fact, I believe that Jesus didn't know the right answer in going into this time of prayer. But, but here's what I do believe. I believe he knew where to get the right answer. He knew where to get this direction. And I don't know about you, but I'm sure uh, you've probably found yourself up against a deadline where you've got a difficult decision to make or you see uh, a decision coming. Uh, maybe you're facing an important decision right now. Maybe you're in some sort of uh, struggle in your life or in a relationship or with a financial matter or maybe at your work and you're struggling to figure out what's best. Here's the thing. You may sit here today. You may find yourself somewhat desperate not knowing the answer today, but can I ask you? Do you know where to go finding that right answer? Do you know where to look for that right answer? Jesus can relate. He shows us that he knows where to look for that answer. And if Jesus needed to pray in order to receive wisdom and guidance, how much more for us? How much more for you and me? And if we'll pattern our prayer life after the prayer life of Jesus, we can, too can find wisdom and guidance to help us in our time of need. And as we're seeking God's will for our lives. Let's look at another example. Luke chapter 9. Uh, Luke chapter 9 over uh, in verse 28. Uh, Luke 9 uh, verse 28. Uh, Luke records this. Uh, about eight days after Jesus said this, uh, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up uh, onto a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed. And his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus, and they spoke about his departure, that's interesting, all right, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Now, you read this, all right, you try and put this in perspective, this is a pretty amazing moment, all right, if you're one of these three that get to witness all this, I mean, can you imagine what this was like? I mean, Jesus takes three of his disciples up to this mountain with him while he prays, and while he's praying, two dead guys show up, all right? I mean, that, that's enough to surprise you, and especially for these men, and looking up to somebody like Moses and Elijah, who appear to Jesus, and they talk to him, and Luke records, what happened? What happened? They spoke to him about his departure. They were speaking to Jesus about his departure. Now, what did Jesus ask of his father that would elicit such a response? What, what would elicit this response of sending Moses 
and Elijah to him. And they come and they speak about his departure. Well, we don't know for sure, all right? And I realize that we're just sort of making a guess here. But could we go as far as to say, could it be that Jesus was asking questions of the Father about his departure? Could it be that he was asking even more questions about what the days would look like leading up to the cross? And that moment, that punishment that he was going to endure on the cross. I mean, maybe the Father realized that Jesus was needing some encouragement, uh, that it was all going to work out in the end. And so he sent Moses and he sent Elijah as a way of encouraging him. We don't know for sure. But if that's true, what does it say about our Father in heaven? You know what it says to me? He knows the condition we're in. Uh, he, he knows. He is perfectly aware of the condition that you're in today and of your heart and of what you're facing and uh, your fears and your anxieties and struggles. I mean, he's sensitive uh, to us. He's sensitive to those difficult and challenging seasons that we go through. You, you can be encouraged as you look to this, as you look to Jesus in realizing that he knows and he understands what we need and he knows what you're going through. And he knows what you're going through even right now here this morning. You know, there are so many examples of Jesus in prayer, so many that we could look at today. But most importantly, here's what I want you to see in all of them. I want you to see that, that this, this pattern uh, and priority of prayer in the life of Jesus. Prayer was the primary way that Jesus cultivated intimacy with his Father. And uh, there may be no better passage that sums up the prayer life of Jesus uh, than this one. Turn back a couple of pages to uh, Luke chapter 5, verse 16. Just such simple words, but uh, uh, such important words for us. Luke chapter 5, verse 16, Luke records this. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Jesus often drew, withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Everyone, how often do you have to do something before you can describe it as often? How often did the disciples need to see something like this? And there are other important words here, too, words like withdrew or, or lonely. I mean, the word lonely here can also be translated as deserted. Uh, Luke shows us that Jesus made it a regular practice of getting away, getting absolutely alone to be with his heavenly Father. That means he was intentional about removing the distractions that would potentially prevent him from hearing from his Father in heaven. I found a, a fascinating story this past week. Uh, about a room, about a lab in South Minneapolis, a room that uh, the designers claim is 99.99% soundproof, all right? And, and I've got a picture uh, of this room here uh, to show you. And uh, it, this room, this particular room, holds the Guinness World Records uh, for being the quietest place on earth uh, that they know of. It's a, uh, it's a room that's got three-foot uh, thick fiberglass uh, around the room, these acoustic wedges, double walls of insulated steel, and uh, concrete that's over uh, a foot thick. Uh, NASA has rented out the room to train astronauts. Uh, Whirlpool has rented out the room to test their washing machines. Uh, the Harley-Davidson company used it to make their motorcycles quieter, which I think is relative, because I don't really think they're any quieter today, but uh, maybe some of you uh, believe that. Uh, Stephen Orfield is the president of the company that created this particular room, and that he says that when he goes inside this particular room, he can hear the artificial valve uh, in his heart tick. It's that quiet. Uh, he, he said in an article, he says, the quieter the room, the more things you will hear. And he goes on to explain that the sounds of silence actually become quite unnerving as the record 
for the longest stay in the room by one person is just 45 minutes. You know, I don't know about you, but I find that at times it can be very difficult to pray. It can be very difficult, quite challenging to remove all the distractions and to get alone and to pray with God with all the noise and all the distractions of life. Do you see what Jesus did? Jesus made it a habit to get alone regularly to quiet and deserted places and pray, and he did it often. And I just wonder if Jesus realized that the quieter the place, the more he was able to hear, to hear from his Father. Can I just ask you this today? How often do you get alone to quiet and deserted places to pray? Uh, have you found this to be beneficial in your life? Uh, do you desire this? Uh, do you, I don't know about you, but do you, do you find it difficult to remove the distractions so that you can be alone with God? And, and we see this, and, and we see these examples, and, and you can't help but wonder, I mean, why would the Son of God, the Son of Man, spend so much time alone in prayer? Well, again, once again, I think that Jesus shows us that prayer is the primary way that we cultivate intimacy with God. Jesus shows us that prayer is the key to an intimate relationship with God. And many of us, I, I think, and this would be true of me, we, I have struggled with prayer because I think one of the things that I have failed in is I, I've struggled too much with the mechanics of prayer and not focused more on the relationship that comes with this. Because let's remember, prayer is just simply this. We've talked about this here before. It's a conversation with God. And, and a conversation is the vehicle through which we experience one another. I mean, it's true in marriage, right? Uh, it, it's true in, in a dating relationship. It, it's true in our relationships with our kids. I mean, conversation is the vehicle by which we get to intimacy. It's true of any relationship. Prayer isn't the goal for us. Prayer isn't the goal for you and me today. It's not what I'm trying to get across. I believe that an intimate relationship with God is the goal and what we should strive for and what Jesus prayed about in prayer is the way that we get there. Um, we're going to host a prayer workshop in a few weeks. And I know that some of you have been through our prayer workshop before. Uh, maybe you'll choose to go through it again. Maybe you found it to be very beneficial. Uh, but for those of you that have never been through it before, it's coming up on Saturday, October the 24th. Uh, we're going to host that here at our Noblesville campus where we're going to get in and we're going to talk a little bit more about those mechanics of prayer because maybe you've never had anybody teach you about prayer and how to pray effectively. Maybe you've never had anybody that you could dialogue with about your questions and some of your challenges uh, that come with praying. Uh, we're going to talk about why prayer is just simply a conversation with God. We're going to talk about the importance of reading scripture while we pray and how that can be very beneficial. We're going we're to talk more about how prayer is the primary we, way we cultivate intimacy with God and what it means to pattern our prayer life after Jesus. And so again, that's going to come up on, on October the 24th. But I want to leave you with this today. I want to just suggest for you three ways that you can pray like Jesus. And uh, this is for those of you that have been praying for many years now, and maybe you have found some growth in it. Maybe these will be helpful to you today. Maybe they'll be affirming uh, for you today. But, well, maybe for some of you here today, and you just look back and you realize how you've struggled and, and kind of toiled through prayer, uh, maybe some of these things that I share with you this morning as we wrap up can kind of encourage you as you think about what it means to pray like Jesus, uh, the thought that we could pray like him. Uh, the first thing is this, if you're taking notes, that is just this reminder that you can bring your need to him. 
Uh, you can bring all of your needs to the Heavenly Father just as Jesus did. I believe that Jesus prayed because he needed to pray. And, and it was through prayer that Jesus brought all of his needs uh, to the Father. And so if Jesus was needing encouragement, he prayed. Uh, if Jesus needed wisdom and guidance, he got alone with his Father and he prayed. Uh, if he needed strength and hope, he knew where to turn. He knew where to get the answer uh, in his Father. And if he needed to know what to say and how to say it, he prayed. And I believe that at the very same time, it was from the place of prayer that the Father met these needs in Jesus' life. Uh, there, there's a very influential book that I've been reading that I, I would love to, to share with you. Paul Miller uh, has written a book entitled The Prayer Life. I think we recorded that in the message notes today. Uh, and in this book, he explains how Jesus lived a life of helpless dependence on his heavenly father. He, he says this, he says, Jesus is without question the most dependent human being who has ever walked the face of the earth. I mean, look at just a couple of examples. Just listen to these. I don't think we have these on the screen, but to see how dependent Jesus was on his father to meet these needs. John 5, 19. Uh, Jesus said, very truly, I tell you, the son, he's referring to himself, can do nothing by himself. He can only see what his father is doing because whatever the father does, the son does also. Uh, over in John 8, 28 and 29, Jesus said, uh, when you have lifted up the son of man, again, he's referring to himself, then you will know that I am he and that I can do nothing on my own. Does that sound like a dependent individual? I think it sounds like a dependent man. He says, but I can only do what the father has taught me. He says, the one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone and I will always do what pleases him. There's dependence. There's total dependence in Jesus. And so can you see him bringing his needs? Can you see him bringing his questions to the father? And here, here's why this is important. When, when you know that you and me, like Jesus, that we can't do life on our own, then all of a sudden prayer makes complete sense. And it becomes a lifeline for us. And, and patting our patterning our lives after Jesus means bringing all that we have. It means bringing all of our needs before the Heavenly Father, just as Jesus did. This is how Jesus walked for us. And so think about this. What need can you bring before your Father this morning? I mean, what are those needs for you in your life? I mean, maybe you find yourself in a relationship, uh, in a marriage that isn't working right now. Maybe, may, maybe your need is that you've got a child that just isn't behaving. Or uh, maybe if you're honest with yourself, you'd acknowledge, you know what, I've got some anger in my life. I've got bitterness in my life towards someone else. Maybe for you today, it's insecurity or loneliness or depression. Maybe, maybe it's difficulty in forgiving someone. Some of you here today might find yourself in a health crisis, not knowing what's ahead for you or some financial turmoil, or uh, you're up against a deadline on a tough decision. See, here's the encouragement for us. You can bring these needs to God. He welcomes these needs. I mean, it's okay to bring your fear. It's okay to bring your, your questions to Jesus. It's okay to bring your uncertainty. It's okay to come before him helpless. Come before the Father and helpless. Bring your need to the Father. And then I want to encourage you to ask boldly. That's the second way that we can pray like Jesus. Jesus was willing to ask boldly. I mean, during the last night with his disciples, six different times, he commanded his disciples to ask. Uh, James tells us later in the New Testament that we have not because we ask not. And so don't just bring your need to the Father, but specifically ask the Father what you want him to do with this need in your life. I mean, how do you want God to specifically meet the need that's even on your heart here this morning? What's the desire of your heart? Tell him about this. Say to him, this is my need. 
And this is what I would like you to do. This is how I would like you to meet my need. This is what it means to ask boldly of our Father. Jesus did it. He did it in the Garden of Gethsemane. I mean, he was very specific the night before he died in what he wanted his father to do. Look at this, uh, Matthew 26, uh, verse 39. It says, going a little farther, he fell, Jesus fell, the Son of Man fell with his face to the ground, and he prayed, my father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me. I mean, Jesus knew the punishment that was coming. He knew the cross that was coming. He knew the separation that he was going to experience from his father. I mean, after 33 years of ministry, of life and three and a half years of ministry, he knew what was ahead of him, and he prayed, Father, please take this cup from me. Jesus specifically and boldly asked his Father to take the cup from him. And I think that's just a reminder and encouragement to us that we can ask boldly of him too. I mean, what is it about that relationship? What is it that you want to ask him today? Uh, if you're discouraged, I mean, well, how do you want God to encourage your heart? If you're angry or bitter, you know, ask God to show you the root cause of this and help you overcome it. If you find yourself full of fear today, specifically and boldly, tell God what you want him to do. And if you're overwhelmed and exhausted, then tell him what you want him to do to help you. I mean, if one of my kids comes to me upset and asks me to help them, I'll often ask, what is it that you want? Or how can I help you? And when we bring our needs to the Heavenly Father, and when we tell Him specifically and boldly what we want, what we're doing is we're patterning our prayer life after the prayer life of Jesus. Now in the garden, Jesus asked boldly for the Father to take this cup from Him, but I want you to also notice that He surrendered completely at the same time. And that's the third way we pattern our prayer life after Jesus. It's to surrender completely. Jesus asked boldly but then surrendered completely. Look at that verse again. He prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Now here it is. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Jesus prays, take this cup. There's the boldness in his prayers. But then he surrenders completely. Not my will, but your will be done. What's it look like to surrender completely? The truth is, I don't completely know. I haven't figured this out yet. And I want you to keep asking and asking boldly. And I plan to keep asking and asking boldly. But let's do the work to make sure that in the same way that Jesus surrendered completely, that even in our prayers and even in our boldness, we're surrendering too. And so with our marriages and what we pray, we ask and surrender. And with our finances, we ask and surrender. And maybe in your loneliness right now, you ask and surrender. And with our fears, we ask and surrender. And as we pray, we bring all of our needs to the Father. And we keep asking boldly, but we surrender completely so that we can trust that He is good and that His plans are good and perfect. And that what He is doing is He is weaving a story with our lives, that He is working all things together for our good. See, Jesus showed us that prayer is the primary way that we cultivate intimacy with God. And if you'll pattern your life of prayer after the prayer life of Jesus, I'm confident that you, that we, can have an intimate relationship with our Heavenly Father, too. Here's what I want to do.